Thrive Leadership Podcast in three, two, cue music. This is the Thrive Leadership Leadership Podcast. Podcast. It's a place to connect you to nationally acclaimed leaders, their insights, and ideas on how to help you thrive in every area of your life. life. On today's episode, Glenn Barrett. I think it's one thing to be large in numeric size on a Sunday, but actually that doesn't impress the city. So the city is not impressed with size. The city is impressed with authenticity. And so the best way for us to live audacious and be audacious is to be authentic in our community impact. Now your hosts, Brad Lominick and CJ Alvarado. Glenn Barrett in the house. How are you, buddy? Good, man. So context here for the old podcast listeners. Yeah. You, you just got through speaking in a main session at yeah. Thrive Conference. So when you're done, what's the first thing you're thinking of? You're a communicator. You're a teacher. You speak a lot of places. When you're done, what are you thinking about? What, what's sort of the first thing? Usually when I'm done, I want to see people. Really? So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like to hide away and... Uh, to um, self-analyze, you know, what I said, what I did, what I could have done better. That's something I do later. So I, I like to interface with people as much as I can, drink coffee, hang out. So at church, at home, um, usually I'll, uh, I'll finish preaching, walk off stage and go straight to the doors to meet people. I'm a tactile leader, so I'll, I'll, I'll cuddle the babies and, mm. and hug people and, you know, that, that sort of thing and, and interface with people for about half an hour. So And that, that actually gives you energy well what it does it reminds me of why we do what we do mm-hmm. it's actually about the people it's actually not about the stage it's not about uh, performance per se or anything like that it's actually about people so you know whenever I'm preparing a message I, I in my mind have different types of people you know sitting around the table that I'm actually trying to make this message work for so single parents people who are unemployed um, drug addicts you know, um, people who are, who are wealthy, people who are in business doing well. And so after a message, I like to actually then connect with that type of people in the foyer, see mm-hmm. how they're doing, hear what happened, what did God do, what did God say, how did it impact them and things like that. What so, do you not want people to say to you? Um, you, you know you know the one that, that really drives me mad is, oh, that's that's the best sermon I've ever heard you preach. It's almost a sideswipe of saying everything else you've done is <laughs> yeah, right, terrible. Yeah, was, was trash. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like, that's oh, jeez, just wiped off 20 years of my life. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for the uh, for the people who are listening who go, I, I'm noticing the accent and don't you know maybe don't know you as well. Yep. Tell us a little bit about just where you're from, what you're about for those who, who don't know you. So I'm English born. Yeah. Um, my mum and dad are from Wales, which is a little country next to England. And um, so actually, when I was born, they thought I was going to be a girl, and um, they had a, a name chosen for a girl. The midwife said it's a boy. They said no. Uh, mum and dad said no. It's got to be a girl. Like no, it's a boy. And they had this argument. And mum and dad said we haven't got a name for a boy. We've only got a name for a girl. And I think they were going to call me Karis or something like that. And um, <laughs> and so back in those days, you had to write down the name of the baby really quickly on the birth certificate. Nowadays, you don't have to. Certainly not in England. I think we had a baby born in our church a few years ago, and they waited something like three or four weeks to actually name the baby and huh. I had to say to the father we can't keep calling you something right you've got to give him or a name baby so so back in those days so the, the midwife said well why don't you call him Glenn and mum and dad went yeah that'll do so I was named by a midwife and um, <laughs> so my family are from Wales but I was born in Manchester England and that's because my dad was a pastor and at the age of two we went to Australia and this is the accent you're hearing my Aussie accent when I was 15 I moved back to Manchester my dad was pastoring again in that city at 20 I went to Sydney to go to Bible school for four years I met my wife and uh, we got married, had a two-month honeymoon in South America, and then 22 years ago, relocated back to England. So kind of half my life in Australia, half, just over half in, in England. Does so the it, accent change a little bit when you stay in England? Yeah, like it, it totally does. Oh, yeah. and, and the reason is because everywhere I go, people say, oh, where are you from? Yeah. And, and it just becomes such a tiring <laughs> response. It's like every day, oh, you're from Australia. 
yes, yeah, no, of, yeah. I'm actually not, but I am kind right. of thing. So I think, uh, especially when in public communication, I'm super conscious of the way I'm speaking. So I think I've just worked a way of trying to sound not as Australian as maybe I could do. But then when I'm back in Australia, it comes out thick yeah. and fast and hard. Australian and accents are definitely the stronger mm-hmm. accent of between that and British accent, right? Well, you've got different parts of England. And so you can live yeah. in, in a part of England three miles away. They've got a completely different accent in, in total. So as an Englishman living in England, you, you can actually tell where a person's from by the way they speak. Yeah. So Manchester is about a 45-minute drive from Liverpool, and they speak weird over there. There's Birmingham just south of us. They're crazy. You go up to Newcastle. <laughs> that's out of control. You know, the only people who speak proper English are people in Manchester. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And the, the other voice you hear is Mark. Yeah. Tell from us Strat. Little- upon Avon, which is so you wait. You sound way more British. Yeah, yeah. So Shakespeare. This is Shakespeare's English. Oh. So I'm from Shakespeare's right. birthplace. The proper. Yeah, real England. So, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and you you've been on the team at Audacious for yeah since we started ten years ago. So yeah. I was with uh, Glenn, Sophie, and Sheffield. Um, they were associate pastors there. We, uh, me and my wife Emily were youth pastors. So we work in really tight family. And so relocated to Manchester 10 years ago. And now your role is? Campus pastor for Chester um, and oversee departments in Manchester as well. So, yep, flip between two. And Audacious Church is the name of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Give us the the story behind the... Well, the name was birthed in a prayer meeting with a group of friends, actually, three of us. Um, And it was actually a statement I made when I was praying. I said, God, help us be audacious in our steps. And it was like... God sat on that moment and I opened one of my eyes hmm. and uh, the guys were looking at me. I said, that's it. And they said, yeah. I said, we're called to be audacious. And then we went, what does that mean? So we had to look <laughs> it up. And audacious means bold, daring, dangerous, fearless, mm. unrestrained by convention to challenge assumptions, um, to be cheeky in everything. In other words, everything Jesus was in scripture. And so we just felt like, you know what, this was going to be a great, in a sense, um, prophetic name for the type of church that we would be. We've got to be a church that's bold. So you can't be an audacious church in name, mm. but not in nature. Hmm. So, yeah. So. i, I got to ask about soccer because... Football? Yeah. Well, it's Start proper. again with that yeah. one. Yeah. Proper, proper soccer. <laughs> Let's rewind the question again. Proper soccer. You call it football, we call it football. Uh, <laughs> right, Manchester City yes. and Manchester United. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to go there? I'm, well, I'm guessing okay. this is a big issue. It's a major issue. So, so what you need to know is going back 100 years when, when football, soccer team started, mm-hmm. um, most teams, most cities, big cities, had a Catholic team and a Protestant team. And so if you were Protestant, you'd support one team. If you were Catholic, you'd support another. So in Liverpool, there's two football clubs, Liverpool and Everton. In Birmingham, you've got Birmingham City. You've got Aston Villa. Uh-huh. In Manchester, you've got God's team, which is Manchester United. City Football Club. Oh. And then Manchester United, which is the enemy. So yeah, it's, a, it's a major issue. It's, football is like a religion. In the yeah. United Kingdom, oh, without no a doubt. question, yeah. yeah, yeah, and the the difference between the the Premier League, yes, and the the other league, which yes. I, I don't even I don't even know how to describe it. Are those, what's the other league? If there's well, the Premier League, yep, yeah. and then there's the other, which is that a tournament? Which is the, the Champions League? The Champions about? League, oh, so yeah, that's a tournament, right? So what that's they do is they, playoff. They, effectively, yeah. they take the top four um, teams of all the European countries. They put them in a pool together. They fight it out to, to get to the final. And that's the Champions League, Champions but it's really League. the Champions Tournament, in essence. Or yeah. The Europe Championship. Yeah. 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 And it's only a one-time thing. Yeah, once a year. Based on where you finish the season. National in, in the Premier yeah. League, yeah. But how do you... Is there a Premier League Championship as well? Yeah. So yeah. Manchester City, which is my team, 
not Mark's team, uh-huh. have just won the championship, the premiership championship. Mm. So. That is a true story. But we have won the most titles ever. Manchester Meaning. United. Yes. Man. So, yeah. is it, so uh, I mean, you all have a, quite a chasm between you when it comes to cheering for two different teams yeah. Yeah. in the same city. Yeah. And this is like the kind of stuff that, that will split families, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, listen, yeah. when my son was four, he came home from school. Uh, he just started school. He was in year one. And he said to me, Dad, I think I'm going to support Manchester United Football Club. So I said, son, come, come upstairs to your room. So I took him to his bedroom. I got his suitcase. I started to pack his clothes. He goes, Dad, what are you doing? I said, son, in this house, we support Manchester City. If you're going to support Manchester United, you're not living here. And he said, Dad, I'm only kidding. I said, I'm not, son. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's that is funny. the challenge now. We're a Manchester United family, but Man City are currently, in the short term, the most su- more successful. So our kids are like... Did you actually say that then? No, I've no, never in heard the you actually term. use those words. But so our kids are like tempted by City. And uh, so same thing. There's no options in the house. You don't have options. It's you. You like football and you support the Reds, or you don't like football. CJ, this CJ's, is, CJ's this is pulled such, up something here on the screen. This is such a big People deal. can't see this. Like, people can't see this, but let me explain but what's going on. So there's a new sermon series that, you know, Andrew McCourt, who's, yes. we, we right. hit a little Easter egg. Uh-huh. <laughs> it says Manchester City wins championship, McCourt depressed. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I mean, this is, this is how much of a big deal it is. Yeah. Well, so well, no, really Ray, is. Ray sent me this image, and I looked at it, I thought, that's odd, you know? <laughs> and then he goes, yeah, but focus in on the bottom yeah, right-hand yeah. side. Look at yeah. that newspaper clipping. So Manchester I mean, Andrew McCourt would be a United fan. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And the joke is this. The joke is this, is that if you're a Manchester United fan, it's because you're not from Manchester. Okay. The people who are born in Manchester support Manchester City. Yeah, they're... People who are not born in Manchester support United. So United are really the global team. It's a team everybody knows. But mm. Man City are, are really the local team. <laughs> Although our church attendance is literally impacted by Manchester United well, I'm games, sure. <laughs> but not not City games, and that's really? true, right? Yeah, it's only because we're closer to the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh well, I, I mean, I I feel like we're just dumb Americans most of the time in terms of both our awareness of the fact that football, as you call it, is by far the global sport. Yeah, I mean, yeah. absolutely. You know, sure. we we think our sport of football is big, and it's not compared to the, the global game of football. Yeah. But the the amount of people globally that support a certain team especially in the Premier League. Yeah. And it's every it's every country from around the world. Yeah. Mm. Are you are you a soccer guy, CJ? You know, I'm not as big a soccer guy as these guys are, that's for sure. I know this it, it's come to Atlanta. Oh, it's it's coming to the states. Atlanta the, has yeah, full force. Atlanta is a strong sports city, mm. but it's college football. College football rules. Sure. You know, pro sports are not that big of a deal, but the soccer team has taken over yeah. the city. Well, can I ask wow. this question? I, I heard that in in primary schools that we call it elementary yes. schools, mm-hmm. um, that soccer is the most most um, popular sport played. Is it, yes, is that, is that true? Yep. And then obviously something happens when it gets it just, to college, or it's because most high schools in America don't have, or not most, but a lot of high schools don't have soccer teams. Gotcha. Because it's it's only the larger schools that have soccer teams. Most smaller schools just. Yeah, they, they, they play football, American football, or they play basketball or But the other baseball. thing is, in England, we have a beautiful game called cricket. Mm. And cricket goes for five days. It's the longest game in the history like, of sports, right? It <laughs> starts at 10 o'clock <laughs> yeah, in the morning, finishes at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it is just the best game. If you can get five days off work to go to a test match, which goes for five days, yeah, it's just great it's literally the best. And is, wow. that, is that a country, like you support the... England team, yeah, or is England. There, so yeah. England has counties like like American states, yeah. and there are county teams as well. But um, the big rivalry is between England and New Zealand, uh, England Australia. and Australia. It's called the Ashes. And where do you uh, land on that? Well, rivalry. listen, I actually support yeah. England. 
Come yeah. on. Like she's born England. <laughs> yeah, born. Born and bred. When you die, you're England dead. What can I say? Right? The queen is my queen. Yeah. Mm. In England, we're taught to love three, three people, three women. You love your mum, you love your wife, and you love the queen. That's it. True love it. <laughs> yeah. Love the queen. You're gone. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about the the, the growth of the church because this you're you're on a growth pattern. You've you've uh, you know you've been doing this for several years now. You're you're almost the old guys in terms of wow. I know. I've been called that before. You're right. What what are some lessons you've learned along the way that you know you think would help mm. somebody maybe starting out or uh, somebody even in the journey that they don't feel like there's a lot of momentum right now. I think one of the big things is vision, really. You know, vision is, is really important because what you see is actually what you can get. You know, vision is a clear image of a preferable future. So when we started church 10 years ago, we had a vision and a dream. And, and the image that we had in our mind, and this is actually part of our vision statement for church, is a church that stops the traffic numerically so large it creates traffic jams. Now, hmm. as far as we were aware, certainly 10 years ago, there was no churches in the United Kingdom that were numerically large enough to create traffic jams. So, for example, if Manchester United, Manchester City are playing, the, the, the city centre grinds to a halt. There's so much traffic everywhere. And so you'd say to somebody, what's going on? Who's playing today? But the thought is this, is, and this is the image that we have of our people being in traffic jams and somebody winding down a window. So what's going on? Who's playing today? And somebody else replying, no, haven't you heard? God is back. God is mm. up to something. Mm. And so I, I think that wherever you are on the journey, everything really starts with vision. When there's no vision, people perish. The Bible says so. So I think it's really important wherever any of us are on the journey, early days, middle days, you know, whatever it is, to keep vision alive. And I think as a pastor, as a leader, it's just important for us to keep saying the same thing in as many different ways as possible so that vision stays alive in people's hearts and minds. It's good. We we stay focused on why we do what we do. Yeah. So I think just just make sure you know as a leader have that clear image in your mind that when you close your eyes, you put your head on the pillow at night, you can see it in your mind's eye. I think that's the clarity that we need to have in vision. Some churches have vision statements that are grand and grandiose, but actually it's not a clear image in people's hearts and minds. So it's got to be something that's contagious, infectious. So if you come to our church and say to people, "What's the vision of the church?" and uh, you, people will say, "Ah, church stops traffic." Now, mm-hmm. there's, there's more to the vision statement. Yeah. Uh, a church that's numerically, that, that stops the traffic, uh, numerically so large that we impact the seven gateways of the society, one person at a time, and our purpose is to demonstrate the extraordinary God. That's the full vision statement. Yeah. But the clear image yeah. is traffic jams. And so, the, so I get messages on my phone all the time, people stuck in traffic jams, uh, you know, let's send pictures of cars saying, hey, pastor, this, this is our vision, this is our vision, this is our vision. Now, how often are you guys talking about that? I mean, as a staff, is that something where now your staff members are sharing that? It's just kind of in the water at this point. It's just there totally. now. Totally. Common language. Yeah. Everyone's thinking that way. When Whenever we do something, it's mm. to that end. Hmm. Um, scalable. Yeah. We always start things big. If we're going to do it, let's do it big. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's the culture. Mm. Well, yeah. how, how, are, how are you as a campus pastor, Mark, making sure that's true? Because every time you go away from the the, the concentric circles, is yeah. when they go out, degrades a little bit. Or yeah, the vision, a little bit, the vision yeah. starts to you know get diluted. And yeah. how are you making sure it's staying front and center? Yeah, obviously, been on the journey from the start. Ten years has helped because I am audacious. Um, so everything that we do in Chester is a reflection of who audacious is, what audacious is, and so. Um, I think a lot of the things are making sure you're over-communicating rather than under-communicating. I guess sometimes we've been 
kind of in situations and realize that people don't know what we assume they know. And yeah. so we've got to make sure we're always bleeding the culture and speaking the language of the culture, um, even if we feel like we're repeating ourselves too much, just to make sure it's out there. And so everything is uh, communicating high vision. Um, whenever we ask someone to do something, it's with that vision statement in mind. Um, do you want to be a part of the vision? Um, and then just making sure that our program reflects the vision as well. So do the things that we actually do represent the what, the why, and the, the how we're going to do it. Mm. So, um, yeah, our program literally works through those seven gateways. And so that in itself is is replicating the vision statement. And, and the great thing about the Chester campus as well is that it's just near Chester Football Club. Mm. And so the crowds of people on a Saturday that go to the game, it, we're, it's literally a way of saying to the church, see what happens there? Could this happen for church mm. as well? Yeah. And the answer is, yeah, it could. So let's talk about what kind of leader Glenn is. Sure. It's weird asking that question. A little, little bit awkward because he's sitting right in front of us here. But Yeah. Uh, Glenn is... Um, Handsome. Yeah, yeah. Godly. Walks on water. Yeah. yeah. Other than Tan. Tan. Yeah. Muscular that stuff's physique. like a, you know, baseline. Nice beard. <laughs> on top of all of those things, um, Glenn's like ultimate sanguine party personality wants people around. Um, love languages, acts of service. So it's it's like, come on, let's do this together. Let's um, build the church we've always wanted to be a part of. Let's enjoy the process. Um, so I, I guess that was one of the other things I think we've made sure is really at the always in the forefront of our minds with vision is having fun. Um, and that's that's who Glenn and so far they they want family, they want relationship, they want fun. And rather than thinking anointing and fun are opposite ends of the spectrum, mm. we like to think fun mojo. Yeah. When we've got our mojo, mojo, we're having fun and enjoying mm. ourselves, enjoying each other. That's when we'll really see God do amazing things. When you guys, when you guys have that mojo and you're you're kind of living, you know, up to that name, audacious. That's a that's a big. It's an audacious it's a big name. name. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Yeah. How are you guys living that out in your in your community in your area? I mean, what what kinds of things has the church just historically not been afraid to kind of get out and do? And how are you fostering that that? Because I, I think a lot of churches can be a little bit afraid or timid, depending on where you are. Especially, I think in this time of the culture, like. A lot of people feel more timid than they feel audacious. How are you guys living that out? I mean, that's a great question. The city has, what, 2.8, nearly 3 million people living in it. And, um, you know, for the listeners may remember that last year there was a bombing at the Ariana Grande mm -hmm. concert, yep. which is 150 yards away from where our church building is. Mm. And so one of the things that really struck our city at that time was a sense of fear, but also a sense of, um, of pride of we are Manchester. You're not going to break us. We, you know, um, we've had we've had terror attacks before. We've had, you know, obviously challenges through through world wars, different mm -hmm. things like that. And so, so what we did in in the aftermath of that, and continue to do, which is something that we started ten years ago, is just making sure that our community impact is high. So, for example, we go out onto the streets six nights a week for feeding the homeless. 
um, pastoral care, practical support. Uh, one night a week, we bring them all to church, all the homeless in our city, of which there's a lot of them. And um, we give them three-course meals. We bring in uh, hairdressers to do the hair, to mm. wash the hair, to clean them. We bring in doctors, uh, nurses, um, people to do their nails, chiropodists. We bring in veterinarians to actually work with their, the dogs mm. um, because you really know you've got the heart of a homeless person if they leave the dog with you. Mm. And so our vets um, de deflea them, deworm them, um, comb them, brush them, wash them, those sorts of things. We also work with, with the prostitutes as well in the city, the red light district. Mm. And then on top of that, we're just starting to roll out a program now for housing for the homeless. And, um, and we've actually got a dream for 50 houses at the moment. And amazingly, a major business in the UK have basically said to us, we want to get involved in actually buying those houses for you so that wow. you, can, you can be a part of that, which is outstanding. Um, and, uh, you know, continuing to do community impact programs. Mm. So I think it's one thing to be large in numeric size on a Sunday, but actually, I don't think that's that's going to that doesn't impress the city. So the arena, which is only 150 yards from us, where the bombing took off um, took place, it's the busiest arena for concerts in the world. Mm. So the year before the Ariana situation, where the arena was shut for like two months, there was 2.8 million people went to concerts there. Wow. You know, football stadiums in our city have 74,000, 64,000 in it. So, so so the city is not impressed with size. The city is impressed with authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so the best way for us to live audacious and be audacious is to be authentic in our community impact, whether it be in local schools, uh, working with the underprivileged, working in the business sphere, you know, the seven gateways that we talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how we choose to be audacious. We're also in the middle of a building program, mm. which is a 40 million US dollar building program. We're building a new cathedral in our city. Um, that's fairly audacious. And mm -hmm. then, you know, the goal is to have five campuses in Manchester, another 10 across the UK and 10 in mainland Europe as well. So that's kind of the journey. That and we're you on. said you're building a, a cathedral. Yeah. We, we, we called it a cathedral because the council couldn't understand the size and magnitude of it because our city is not used to big church. And so we went had three meetings with the town planners and they couldn't think big. So, so in the third meeting, I said, guys, let's just stop for a moment. Stop thinking church. Start thinking cathedral. And they said, oh, why didn't you say so? <laughs> We understand cathedrals. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so it was really something that was birthed out of there. And then the city did uh, some newspaper articles, magazine articles, stuff online, and it says, uh, Audacious Church building new cathedral for the city. Um, so the size and the scope of that for our city is huge and, and the implications that go along with that. What's the challenge of getting people to show up to church? I mean, it, it, I know it's, it's probably the barriers are higher. Mm in Manchester than they are in Sacramento where we're setting sure. or Houston or Atlanta yeah. for sure. Well, listen, the gospel came to England 1800 years ago. So this is, it's in our DNA in a sense, but really our nation is overchurched and underreached. So people mm. know church, but they have no idea about Jesus. And so the, the idea of bringing people to church, people go, well, why should I go to church? I was born in England basically means I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm part means, of the church Which means England. I'm not another mm -hmm. religion. Um, I'm Christian because I come to England. I know church. I go for births, deaths, weddings, funerals, which is what Christians do, surely. Mm -hmm. So so the, the challenge is this, is not so much to invite people to church. We've got to change our language. So people say, hey, why don't you come with me? Let's go and hang out together. You know, um, and but we find as soon as people get through the threshold of church, if they can walk through the doors, now yeah. our building doesn't look like a church, doesn't sound like a church uh, in any way. Um, you know, especially from a UK, I guess mindset, mindset. As soon as people walk through the door, the first thing they go is, "Wow, mm. not what I expected." Not what I expected. Oh. Yeah, mm. um, and it is loud. It's it's boisterous. It is. 
it is like the MTV version of church. Hmm. And so some people love it, some people don't. But, you know, 10,000 decisions in 10 years um, shows that there's enough of trac- enough traction there for people to ha- have their minds blown, but then actually encounter the presence of God, which is the goal. So the goal is not a good service. The goal is people having that encounter with the presence of God. Hmm. And that is ultimately the thing that changes lives. So in a nation that's overchurched, one of the things that we realize is this, is you can't be overpresenced. Hmm. In other words, you can't have more than enough of God's presence because the Bible says we'll spend eternity in his presence. So that's that's really what it's about for us. It's not about church. It's about his presence. And that, that's what we strive for in all services. In fact, we're in every meeting, we're hunting the moment. We're hunting the moment where there, there, there's almost that sense of God's here. Anything can happen right now. Hmm. And they're the moments we capitalize on. You're around the world quite a bit speaking. Hmm. Um, what's encouraging to you? I mean, you're you're around a lot of leaders in different places. You see a lot of churches. You're... You show up at conferences. I mean, you you, you have a, a, a view that's probably a bit higher mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, for people who might be listening in Columbus, Ohio, or yep. you know, Topeka, Kansas. Yep. What are you seeing that you would say, man, uh, this is encouraging for yeah. the average pastor or leader out there? Well, so I'm a second generation pastor. So the denomination of churches that I'm in, I've been in all my life. My dad was a pastor in it. I'm a pastor in it. The thing that really encourages me is that um, I need to be careful how I say this, I guess. But but really, for for the masses, for the community, for people who don't know Christ, denomination means nothing. And what I'm finding in churches is this: is that denomination is not the important thing. Mm-hmm. The thing that's important is one family, that sense of one God. And the thing that I'm finding really encouraging is this: is wherever I go in the world, whether it's you know. Um, Eastern Europe or, you know, parts of Africa or, you know, America, Southeast Asia, wherever it is, there's the same language that people are speaking now. There's a language that's transcending uh, across denominational church groups, church streams, and there is that genuine sense of we're one family. Mm. And I really, really love that. No longer are people drawing their lines and their arguments on theological areas of doctrine. I I think dogma and doctrine are two two different things. I, I think we should be dogmatic on who Jesus is. He, he came, he died for us. Mm. We're saved by faith, you know, by appropriating the work of Christ on the cross. We should be dogmatic about that. But I'm finding that people are getting less dogmatic about other things. Mm. It's now just in, in the conversation of doctrine, and that's conversation. And I love that. Yeah, that's good. And, and you would probably say, too, that, that your peers, your, your younger guy, mm-hmm. uh, your peers are definitely more collaborative in nature. Without a doubt. In, without a doubt. In fact... People are not really, for me, I don't think the conversation and the, and the, and the arguments, is that a right word, are really about theology. Um, it's about how do we reach people? How do we reach people? How do we reach people? Do you agree that Jesus is Lord? Yeah, great. How do we do that? What's the best way to do that? And so certainly this, this generation of leaders coming through are very collaborative. You know, most of the forums that we sit in around the world are not in denominations but with, with friends. And you can find around the table people of, Loads of different denominations, but nobody talks about that. We're just talking about who is Jesus, why did he die, yeah. how do we impact our city and our community for Christ, and that is really refreshing. That's not what I was brought up in. That's you, not up, what I, you were brought up uh, deeply steeped into the denominational yeah. mud. I mean, our denomination, not we, a bad way, but we, we were mo- more known for what we couldn't do than what we could do, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, if it's true that God gave Ten Commandments, the Pharisees made over 400, 
you know, our denomination made it into 40,000. Yeah. You know, you can't do this, you can't do this. And I remember reaching a moment, I was 15 years of age, I was reading the Bible and I had a revelation from God. Moses said, who are you? God said, I am. And I genuinely thought all my life, God's name was I'm not. Because I'm not allowed mm. to do this, I'm not allowed to do that, I'm not allowed to do that. But God's name is I am. And then, you know, I had my, my Thompson um, chain reference Bible, NIV, and I, and I traced it through to Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And I just had this mind shift as a 15-year-old and thought, actually, we should be known more for what we're about and for than what we're against. He's the I am, not the I'm not. Mm. That's good. Love it. What's interesting is, to that point, CJ, I mean, even on the Bayside team, mm. with the with the four senior pastors yeah. and and the key team, I mean, there's if you look at their history denominationally, yeah. it's all over the map. I mean, mm-hmm. it's... and if you said, well, how does, what's the what's the secret sauce of the Bayside executive team? It's like, it's a bunch of mutts in terms of theological mutts. They're, sure. they're taking all these pieces from their history and from their background yeah. and from even the, you know, what they were brought up in and yeah. saying, I honor that, yeah. but it doesn't define me anymore. Right. The common thread though in all of that is, is I think what you, what you just hit on is this, you know, relentless passion to reach. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. to reach people. And, and I'd go based on what you came out of denominationally, uh, you know, growing up, what you guys have seen in the evolution of your church now, like, what are you guys seeing in terms of how different that is in reaching people? And, and how are you evolving or changing as a church or as a leadership team? You know, what, are you, what are you exploring now that maybe was unheard of 10, 15 years ago, you know? Well, I think the narrative changes with every generation. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, that's the case. I think that certainly when uh, when I was growing up and and even just up to the point where before we, we planted church, there was almost this sense where if somebody in church and gave their life to Christ, whatever that looked like, maybe a hand up, maybe they came to the front, you know, received a Bible, you know, whatever that was, we then expected those people from one week to the next to stop um, getting drunk, to stop going to the clubs, to stop sleeping around, you know, um, and all of a sudden we almost expected in the UK, I can't speak about America, and in Australia, this this change, and, and we wanted them to go from from being in the pub or the bar to that now being in the prayer meeting, and then being in the midweek Bible study, and then being in the small group, and and different things like that. And there was almost that sense where, uh, in the world that I was brought up in, uh, people would look down their noses at new Christians. Oh, oh, you went to the bar. Oh, oh, I thought you were a Christian. And there was almost this sense of of um, uh, leadership and discipleship through shame. Mm-hmm. You know, which I don't think is the Bible way. You know, the, the devil certainly would say, "Well, shame on you," but actually, the cross says, "Shame off you." Mm-hmm. And um, about four years ago, four years ago, I went into our new Christians class, and to my horror, I realised that with new Christians, the first thing we were teaching them is how to behave as a Christian. And so I pulled our new Christians pastor aside. I said, "Listen, l- let's 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 not do that. Why don't we just spend the next six weeks just showing them Jesus?" And, and he would say, well, what about the people who are living this way and up to this mischief and doing these things that are counter the Bible? I said, why don't we just let them do it? And he was shocked. And I was shocked when I was saying it. He says, well, I don't understand. I said, listen, I think the point is Jesus. Jesus didn't die on the cross for behavior modification. Yeah. He died on the cross that, that we might have a revelation of his love for us and we would respond to that and fall yeah. in love with him. And, and for me, when I was a bachelor, I loved being a bachelor, but I knew if that girl was going to marry me, then I had to change. And mm-hmm. I changed because of love. Yeah. And so rather than teach behavior, let's show them Jesus. Let's let people fall in Jesus. Reach that point in their journey where they're saying, I don't think the way I'm living is right. What do you think, pastors? And we go, okay, let's get the Bible. So now it's a conversation as opposed to a demand. 
And that has been a, a massive change and shift for us. Yeah. That's good. Huge. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I feel like America, you know, I, I don't know where it stands, whether it's the same or trailing, but I feel like that is very much a part of the narrative here as well. I mean, I think people by and large have become very uh, closed and, and maybe because there is a history of just what we've been yeah. against rather than what we're for, but there is such hope and, and all that. So that's incredibly encouraging. Mm-hmm. I think more and more leaders are probably trying to figure out how do we na- navigate all this change? How yeah. do we, when we have such a rich history, maybe in traditions and different things, how do we navigate away from that? And I'm not, I'm not sure what you tell those folks who are going, we see it, but we don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, listen, I think our challenge in the UK is, is um, religious people, mm. religious people. Uh, over church people, um, unchurched people falling in love with God, they, their love is so fresh mm. that it's amazing how open they are to change. Um, you know, so religious people will say, "Well, you can't come to church if you are this, 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 and this." Actually, the Jesus I know from the Bible says, "Open arms." Mm-hmm. You know, he he gets mm-hmm. down on the same level as people. He did that through becoming human, but not only that. You know, when the woman was caught in adultery, he got down at their level, at her level drew on the ground, looked in the eyes, you know, shame off you. And I think that that's, that's the gospel message for us. It's good. Love that. Mm. Are, you, uh, are you on the social media outlets? I mean, is there places that people can <laughs> keep up with you, follow yep. you? So MySpace? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're worried now. Your email, your email is, is Glenn at, at Juno.com. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, on Facebook, and I'm on um what's the other one? Instagram as well. So yeah. at Glenn Barrett. All right. Spelling G L Y N B A W R E W T and also at Audacious Church. You've done that a few times. Yeah. G L Y N B A Double That's strong. It was. But for both of you, I want to give you the last word. Just you know, encourage leaders who are listening. That's a that's an open-ended question. I want to leave it at that. Just maybe your your final words you would impart to them. Yeah, I think just um, in terms of the whole connection that the atmosphere of relationship is so accessible to every person wherever you are. Um, if you feel like you're on your own, isolated, you can, if you reach out and invest in some way, you can get connected. And so don't don't try and just do what you're doing on your own. There's so many people learning so many lessons and uh, finding so many people w- asking more questions and answering, which is really healthy. Everyone wants to learn from someone. And so if you're on your own, you can not only find resource for yourself, but you can be a resource to someone else as well. And so don't stay on your own isolated, but reach out, get connected, and um, I think that is a game changer. He sounds like Shakespeare, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> Mark really does have the <laughs> golden touch of, uh, of the vernacular. Yeah. <laughs> Queen's English. Yes, yeah. very much so. What about you, Glenn? Yeah, listen, I'm, uh, listen the, my final piece of wisdom would be what my mother-in-law said to me 20 years ago. So I got married 22 years ago. My mother-in-law said to me one day, she, I got off stage, I'd, I'd been preaching as a, as a young communicator, and my mother-in-law sort of said, how'd you do today? said, oh, mom, I'm not too sure. She goes, son, let me give you a piece of advice. Three rules to anything you do. Number one, turn up. Number two, do your best. And number three, walk away. Mm. And she mm. said to me, did you do your best? I said, yeah, I did. She goes, great, let's go eat. And that has really helped me over mm. the last 20 years of life and leadership. I've just got to faithfully turn up. I've got to do the best that I can do in that moment. And I'm going to walk away and have my dinner. Well said, Thank love you. it. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks for what man. you're doing. Thank you. Uh, I've, I've got to decide, CJ, you and I both who we're going to cheer for. 
Manchester City or Manchester United? Yeah. The future's blue, boys. Well, and City. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'll say this: by this time next year, I, I'll, I'll be educated. All right. And and a raving fan. This time next year, we'll both bring our jerseys. <laughs> I'll have a jersey yeah. on. Both, if we we'll yeah, we bring jerseys. Glenn on next year, we'll we'll have jerseys on. How about that? Yeah, but if you're wearing red, I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Well, he's one of many that we've gotten to sit down with. We're really blessed to have so many great friends that are part of Thrive that we yeah. get to hang out with and hopefully add value to your life and to your leadership by pulling out some of the lessons they've learned. So if you haven't gone back and listened to all the different episodes now that we've got up many, we're not in the early days anymore, CJ. We're not. We're we have we have gone down the old interstate quite a few miles. <laughs> so there's lots true. of there's lots of great conversations and interviews. If you want to go back into the archives, just go into iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and start listening to some of those past episodes. I will say this, hopefully we're getting better, but the content has been good from the start. Yes. You know, we're, you know, yeah. we're finding our sea legs we're... over over time. <laughs> but that the content true. has been but good. The content has always been solid. Many more coming up, so stay with us. We're going to have lots more interviews, conversations. You can always find more information at thriveconference.org. Mm-hmm. We want to hear from you, rate, review us, subscribe on on iTunes to this podcast or wherever you get your podcast. And anything else before we wrap yeah, up Yeah, and this? if you're trying to reach us, you know, you can always reach us at podcast at thriveconference.org. If you want to ask Brad some question, you can find him. His personal email is brad at uh, nanunanu.com. Mm, uh, love that site. Yeah. Didn't they just recently get acquired by Yahoo when that <laughs> recent acquisition yeah, they was, did. They that did. Yahoo put together was <laughs> right. It was they bought d- Nanu Nanu for uh, seven dollars <laughs> <laughs> from GoDaddy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big acquisition that really got reported big. in TechCrunch. So that's right. Yeah, we're that's we're right. on the cutting edge of we news are, here at Thrive Leadership Podcast. Yeah. As always, we want you to stay healthy. We want you to have a thriving church because we believe healthy leaders and thriving churches go together. Until next time, this is the Thrive Leadership Podcast. The Thrive Leadership Podcast is hosted by CJ Alvarado and Brad Lominick and is produced by Kip Johns. To download and share this and other Thrive podcasts, go to thriveconference.org.